Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I just want to take this time to remind you that Dr. Fauci is not to be trusted. Dr. Fauci is a guy who will manipulate any way he can to keep you from remembering exactly what he did. And Dr. Anthony Fauci, in my view, is a snake. I don't think anybody who has any realistic evaluation knows that you got to do something dramatic. Once that's done, then the thing that you need to now go back and analyze, I don't think anybody would argue with the fact that you had to shut down, is how long you keep the shutdown and how complete it is. I would argue with the fact that you had to shut down. As a matter of fact, I did. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY. That's the number. 833-468-8669. Of course I did. I made the following argument. You do not shut down society to save it. As a matter of fact, you can't. That's not the way it works. That's not how any of this works. And not only was it me uh, saying that, I had backup. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. See? Total backup. I said it, and I had pseudo-intellectual, real, real jerk reporters in Indianapolis saying, Tony Katz is going to get people killed. No, Tony Katz understands what a constitution is. You can understand that there's a virus, and even when you didn't understand everything about it in the beginning, you were like, whoa, 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 what is this? What is happening? Everyone take a breath. Even I said, I can forgive people for two weeks of shutdown. I'm not saying you should have shut down. I'm not saying that the government can force businesses to shut down. I don't think they can. And I think that if this ever comes again, I only hope more businesses and more individuals will stand up, specifically church groups. Churches that shut down over COVID should be ashamed of themselves. The church has to be open. It has to be open. At all times, it has to be open. And the people who are there, uh, who are uh, parishioners, uh, should, you know, be in charge of their security and also be armed. I, I can do two things at the same time. I, I think I have a good understanding of, of, of safety. But what a foolhardy thing for, for Fauci to say. But, I mean, when it comes to foolhardy things, listen to Dr. Fauci talk about lab leak or natural origin. You've got to keep an open mind to all possibilities. Instead of pointing fingers and blaming, we should be saying it's either one or the other. Having said that, with an open mind, as a scientist, I have to look at the data and say, although either is possible, that doesn't necessarily mean they're equally probable. And if you look at the data that's been accumulating over the last year, several months, even most recently, it's pointing much more strongly towards a natural occurrence. But it hasn't been definitively shown. So as long as that still remains the situation, you must entertain the possibility of both. Full disclosure, I edited that piece for time, not for content. For content, he just won't admit what more and more people are discussing regarding a lab leak. Dr. Fauci has not done Americans well. This is Tony Katz today. If you listen to the so-called experts, they'll tell you that the Colts had an absolutely incredible draft. The question, of course, is 
did the Colts have a good draft? I mean, can they do anything right? Just because they do it well on paper doesn't mean it's going to translate to the field. Last year at this time, Indianapolis Colts fans were saying, my gosh, What a good draft. They've been saying, hey, take a look at these picks for the last six years under Chris Ballard. But the winning hasn't taken place. Then again, Chris Ballard hasn't really had a chance to draft a quarterback either. Maybe this is the start of a very interesting turnaround. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. I feel like last week with being out of town, the whole week was off and strange. It just feels good to get get started properly again. Tony Katz today. That's the name of the show. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. JMV joins me right now. He is the voice of sports in Indiana and... Let's let's start with an overall grade, man. You you've been through this. You've been through the ringer with GM Chris Ballard. You've seen him make picks where you're like, all right, that looks really good on paper. Yet somehow things don't gel on the field. Talk to me about your grade of this draft class and what this class has in common. I, I don't really give grades out, but I will tell you this, Tony. I look at it this way. What he did address. Now, would I have maybe gone about it a different way, maybe tried to take the top off a little bit more in a round three as opposed to trade back and trade back and get, you know, those round five selections and all? Maybe. But you're right. What you said off the top is absolutely right. What we see on paper has to translate to the field, and none of us, and I mean none of us, including the ones that drafted these guys, have any idea. But what I can tell you is this. From a standpoint of needs on this team, whether you're talking about cornerback or wide receiver or offensive tackle or tight end, that's what he went out and got. And that's what I said, go out and get. Thus, I can't sit here and shake my fist and be mad about that because all he did was what we thought he was going to do. But I'll add something to this. Chris Ballard, Tony, is always a guy that's looking for athleticism now at the top end let's just say one through ten right now for example offensively and defensively there is not a great deal of top tier athleticism there you could tell in this draft with the measurements of athleticism they went out with that in mind they went out with the athleticism they went out with the speed that's what chris ballard has been looking for i'm not suggesting he's never looked for that before but it certainly did seem like that there was more of a focus on that in this draft and there was also a focus on you know adding to for example a quarterback a quarterback situation that needs it right now you know Isaiah Rodgers and Dallas Flowers and you're kind of looking at that as about it so you add to that depth wise we just don't know how this is going to work out we have zero idea about how this is going to work out all I can tell you is he and they addressed what needed to be addressed addressed they may not have done it in the fashion which I or you or anybody else would have chosen but they did address those needs. Well, I mean, it it starts at the very, very top, right? It starts right here. Anthony Mm -hmm. Richardson going with a guy who's 20, going with a guy who only has 13 starts in his college career, going with a guy who's a 57% completion. uh, But you talk about that athleticism conversation and Chris Ballard, GM, wanting athleticism, uh, not a person, not a person who doesn't say the dude's an athletic freak. It's absolutely unbelievable. 
Yeah, he is. I had him on the show on Friday, too, and uh, very humble, 20-year-old kid that seems like that he's mature beyond his years. Now, granted, I will compare that to my 20-year-old maturity, which is not even in the ballpark of this. He's going to need that, Tony. He's going to need that along with his athleticism. And as I said on my show, and I think I even sent it to you on Friday as well, this was 110% Shane Steichen's pick right here, 110%. There's no doubt. I mean, listen, did Chris Ballard have to sign off on it? Sure. Did Jim Irsay have to sign off it? Absolutely. But this was who Shane Steichen wanted, and that's what I wanted for this team. You bring in Shane Steichen, a first-year head coach, a very successful offensive coordinator, Tony, working with quarterbacks in the past, whether it's Phillip Rivers or Justin Herbert or Jalen Hurts. You want him to mold what he wants to mold, what he wants to work with. And that was 110% his selection in that draft. I don't think there's anything at all wrong with that either. Let's go down the line uh, a little yes. bit to that number two, and you end up with Julius, who they say is Juju Brents. That's how I first saw <laughs> uh, his name, who is an Indianapolis product, and then at Kansas State. Actually, I think he was somewhere else before Kansas State, uh, and now back in Indy at cornerback. That's the Colts' at least understanding we've got serious fundamental positions that are lacking. We already uh, dealt off uh, Stephen Gilmore. Let's kill this thing. And they do that with the number two pick. You like it? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, the only thing that he lacks that normally you see in a corner is that incredible speed. He is big. He can be physical, and he has been very good in his collegiate career. Yeah, I didn't mind that, Tony, whatsoever with Julius Brents. Julius Brents, a product of Warren Central High School, uh, obviously coming out of Kansas State. That was somebody that we had talked about leading up to because there was a quarterback need, so many quarterback needs on this team. That is the direction we thought they may end up going, and that's exactly the direction they ended up going. So he is a guy that is more big. He's an outside cover. So he can be physical. The thing we're going to have to watch for is whether or not he's going to be able to keep up with speed guys. Now, listen, you run the 40, that's going to be different than when you're out there running in pads and a helmet, whatever. Of course. But still, that is something, Tony, that we're going to watch if that speed affects his coverage ability with the Colts at the next level. Talking with JMV from 93.5107.5, the fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. That brings us to this number three pick, which, again, we'll talk about position players, but this was this was a little more than than position. Josh Downs uh, from, from UNC, because with Downs, you're not just getting a receiver. You made the decision we're getting a slot receiver. This is a guy who has had over 100 receptions in two years in this position at UNC, you're making the claim through this JMV that Alec Pierce and Michael Pittman Jr., these are the guys, big guys to the outside. You now have a slot receiver who's meant to go up the middle in that almost Wes Welker kind of way, yeah. get punched in the face. And dear Lord, you're going to need a blocking tight end like no one's business now. Talk to me about what this position and this pick means to you for the future of this team. I'm assuming what they're doing with this is looking at Josh Downs, his uh, replacement for Paris Campbell, and hoping that he can do things that Paris Campbell, unfortunately, was unable to do while he was here. Now, at the same time, Josh Downs is a guy at UNC, Tony, that was absolutely outstanding. I mean, he was outstanding as a player. He was dominant in the ACC. He's a bit on the smaller side. 
I think they list him as 5'10". He may not be 5'10". He is fast. He is productive. And that is exactly what you're looking for in this. So that's another one I didn't mind. Again, it may not be these name-recognizable guys we thought were going to come off the board early in the second round, midway through the second round. You wait to get him in the third. But this is a guy, again, that shows some things here. It is athleticism. You got the speed. And the other thing is, Chris Ballard and company, they like dudes that go to the Senior Bowl, and they see at the Senior Bowl. They also like guys that are captains or leaders of their team. So these are all qualities that the Colts are looking for. And you can see among all these selections, they have most of those qualities as far as the Colts were concerned and going through that selection process. You know, you, you, you bring that up uh, about the, the Senior Bowl, and I, fi- I find that kind of fascinating uh, because it, it – it, it says to me that what what Ballard is is looking for, what what GM Ballard is looking for, is is the almost the rote stuff, the basic stuff, and not the intangible uh, stuff. If you could check these three boxes right on on a on a Chris Ballard card, boom, you're you're getting on the team. It's yeah. it's done. Congratulations to you that there's that there is this formula and the formula doesn't seem you know esoteric the formula doesn't seem well i i i take a look at this magic stew over here and then i take a look at it from this fifty thousand foot view over there it says no 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 it's very ibm are you wearing the blue tie are you in the blue suit did you show up to the office on time congratulations you're a cult is that how he does it yeah it's weird too because it really i mean as far as being able to select linebackers and being successful in the later rounds and that's why you saw him trading down because he's had a lot of success in doing that you mentioned this at the outset none of this crap matters unless it translates onto the field and he's going into year number seven where they have one playoff win and a couple of of appearances throughout that time it just simply has not translated onto the field but again you've seen that not so subtle change here they go from stiff quarterback after stiff quarterback after stiff quarterback and now they're going young with athleticism they're going with shane steichen as the new head coach and then they really dial in on high level across the board position by position with athleticism in this draft he did do this a bit differently his philosophy as you mentioned hasn't really changed, but he did look at this differently because, Tony, he has to. This team is lacking in higher-level talent, higher-level athleticism. They're lacking in winning, consistent winning. They're lacking in division titles, and they've also been lacking, Tony, in this. They've been lacking in fan interest. There's nothing that sunk the fan interest more than that clown show that we went through last season and covered last season. He needed to add some juice along with the type of talent that he is looking for. Again, this is just a surface view. But the surface view is I thought he went out there and addressed everything he needed to. Now it's just going to be up to them to put this thing together, which, Tony, it's something we've been searching for now for the better part of six years. Let me uh, share one more thing that that I I thought was interesting in this draft. And it, and it was right here. It was break Freeland. Uh, coming in uh, with that uh, fourth round pick uh, offensive tackle. We have seen that this is the highest paid offensive line in the NFL. And it's not an offensive line that could block anything. We have seen that the tackle position uh, has been an issue since, oh, I'm forgetting his name. Anthony, what's his name? Uh, oh, Anthony Costanzo is who you're looking for. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Decides to, to, to yep. take a walk. 
is is the tackle position the 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 the, the mystery here? What is it about uh, having a good tackle that makes the rest of the line work? And is that why uh, Kelly and 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 Q uh, weren't able to actually you know hold their ground? I'll give you two angles on this one, too. Uh, number one is they're hoping that, you know, what they have a left tackle moving forward and Bernard Ryman is going to be that answer. Now, granted, they don't know. We don't know. Nobody knows. But they have their fingers crossed and believe that he can be the longer-term answer left tackle. But there is way too little of a sample size that we have seen to believe that. Now, I will tell you this. Here's where I think the offensive line has a chance to get better. And this is all dependent on a 2021-year-old 20, quarterback that's a rookie that's had 13 starts as well in the past in college. I think it's, again, going to be on the head coach. I think the head coach and his philosophy offensively to be able to change things around a little bit more than what you could do a year ago, have a more mobile quarterback. And really, if you're talking about the mobility of a quarterback, certainly Anthony Richardson has that. And if it's Gardner Menchu. Tony, to start the season, Gardner Minshew at least has some escapability, none of which was a trait of Matt Ryan, as we saw a year ago. And, and really, the escapability of Carson Wentz also came with the caveat that he may try to chuck it down the field left-handed, something like that. So, I mean, they haven't had that, and they haven't had this offensive philosophy, which is much different. And I would look to that as translating into a better – offensive line than just looking at it position by position and suggesting, well, these guys suck and they're not any good. I, I do think that they're good. I just don't think that position-wise – I'll give you a great example. You go back to Phillip Rivers when they didn't have to protect because Rivers was snap the football and throw the football. They looked really good that year. They didn't have to sit there and protect and protect and protect. He got rid of the football. I think this is going to be a part of the offensive philosophy that you're going to see with the Colts as well. And with that, a lot of guys that looked terrible a year ago offensive line-wise I think will look better. That's my thought. Well, looking better and being better are two very different. Well, there's no doubt about that. Things. Yeah, no so doubt. the the you know we talk about Anthony Richardson and be, before I, I let you go, only one question: Is Richardson a future star quarterback? It, 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 you you draft him, you know that he's got the skill set. You believe that Coach Shane Steichen, who worked with Jalen Hurts, who's worked with others, uh, uh, Bear and 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 other Herbert. Mm. I, I always say Herbert. Yes. My mistake. It's old. I'm old school like that. That's okay. Yeah. Um, the belief is he can uh, mold him into a quarterback. If after three years he's not molded into a quarterback, yeah. is Anthony Richardson done? Is he is no, he uh, no, RG three? No. Did you catch what Chris Ballard said? I can't remember if we talked on Friday about this. I don't think we did. Chris Ballard, I mentioned this to you last time we were on. Rick Carlisle, the head coach of the Pacers, came on with me in October, and he said this, Tony. He said, "Hey, this is going to be a mess for a little bit." Uh, we're going to lose a lot of games, but don't get down on this team because it's for the betterment of the build and this team for the long-term future. Uh, and Chris Ballard said something that was very similar to that as well. So that's exactly what I expect. I, I To me, what you got to have this year is you got to have maybe not consistency, maybe not winning the AFC South, but you have to have a team that gives you signs of hope. Like the Pacers did, for example, in December, when they gave you signs of hope that they're going to be good, uh, right. and then that gives you signs of hope for the future. I thought Chris Ballard laid that out on Friday, kind of in the fashion that Rick Carlisle did with me back in October. That's what you're banking on with this Colts team, to show signs that it's not 
the same old, same old, that what they're building right now does have an opportunity, and that starts with Anthony Richardson. And I don't know if he's going to play in week number one. Maybe he doesn't. But I would guess this coaching staff would like to see him in there sooner rather than later, even as a rookie 21, 21-year-old quarterback, Tony, that has 13 starts collegially under his belt. That's going to be an amazing transition. I think they want to see him, too, and I think Gardner should warm up a lot. (laughs) 93.5, 107.5, the fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Keep it right here. This is Tony Katz today. pretty easy to surmise the first Republic Bank was going to get purchased by someone. You saw the problems that they had there in California soon after the Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. And of course, the Signature Bank collapsed in New York that no one seems to talk about. I've yet to figure out why uh, that is. And all of a sudden you had like 10, 11 banks coming to the rescue of First Republic Bank. The, the knights in shining armor, or I could reverse it uh, like they did on Ted Lasso. And then you realize, well, wait a second. They're not just putting their money. Banks are not putting their money into another bank because they're kind, decent, good people. Oh, no, 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 no. They're doing it because they smell blood in the water. And what they saw was opportunity. And, of course, they we're right. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Guys, it's good to be back in the chair. A couple of days off last week, man. It just feels good to start a Monday fresh. Dr. Matt Will joins me right now, economist from the University of Indianapolis. And uh, you were the guy who said it, sir. You were the one on this very show who said that they're not doing this out of the goodness of their heart. They're doing this because they want to be first in line to pick the bones to see who gets to take over. And now we know it's J.P. Morgan that gets to take over. And this takeover, we should be clear, J.P. Morgan is getting $92 billion in deposits. And the FDIC is going to share the losses, as described, on mortgages and commercial loans. So walk us through it bit by bit. What led to the First Republic collapse and what led to J.P. Morgan getting this sweetheart deal? Well, I have to tell you, first of all, Tony, this really is Jamie Dimon outsmarting the government again, like he did in 2008. And I hope we get time to talk about what he did in 2008, because we knew this was coming. You and I talked about that this was going to, you know, the next chapter of the book that he had already written. Um, What happened was, of course, Silicon Valley Bank goes under, a signature bank goes under, and there was a contagion. It spread to First Republic, which is a San Francisco-based regional bank. And their assets declined in value, Tony, but only by about $13 billion. They just went from $213 to $210 you know, billion, $213 to $203 billion in asset decline. It wasn't a big deal. And they don't have the big crypto. They have a little crypto. They don't have a lot of venture capital. They have a litter venture capital, maybe like 4 or 5% of their portfolio. It's mostly real estate in San Francisco that they own. And so that is what happened. And then Jamie Dimon came in and the contagion spread. Their deposits fled, Tony. They went from $173 billion in deposits down to $103 billion, like that. And of the $103 billion, 30 of it was Jamie Dimon's money. Yeah, So, but it wasn't just Jamie Dimon's money. It, it was right. a fair amount of, of banks that got in there. This was, the, this was a piece out, out, out of CNBC. 
Since the sudden collapse of Silicon Valley Bank in March, attention is focused on First Republic as the weakest link in the U.S. banking system. Like SVB, which catered to the tech startup community, First Republic was also a California-based specialty lender of sorts. It focused on serving rich coastal Americans, enticing them with low mortgage, low-rate mortgages in exchange for leaving cash at the bank. Now, when I read that, An outsider looking in, Dr. Will, what I get is, oh, my gosh, First Republic Bank was given sweetheart deals to people who would put cash uh, in their bank. I get this countrywide mortgages, countrywide loan kind of feel going on. What does that statement mean to you? And why is that? Why was that a problem? Okay, first of all, I got to tell you. It's wrong. And I hate to disagree with CNBC because I believe it's a reliable source. But I looked at a detailed analysis of their financial statements just this morning. And they didn't have the same exposure as SVB. They didn't have the same exposure as Signature Bank. They did have a lot of San Francisco tech-oriented depositors. But just because the person was in the tech business, that doesn't mean anything. It was just a regular depositor putting their money in the bank. But here's the difference. Those depositors were very rich. Those depositors were tied to the tech industry. And they, what happened is they picked up their phone, Tony. They picked up their phone, and with an app, they moved their money to another bank. And that's why they lost about $100 billion in deposits. Their loan portfolio was fine. The sweetheart deals were, there were normal deals that they were doing. There was nothing extraordinary about their portfolio. If, but, whoa, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa, wait a second, sir. Let's now fight. If there was nothing wrong with First Republic's portfolio, why in the world did the depositors who were getting sweetheart deals move their money? Because they were a regional bank, Tony, and they were told they weren't going to be insured by the FDIC. Remember, you played it on your show. You played the clip when the senator asked Janet Yellen if she was going to cause contagion, if she was going to cause banks, depositors to move from regional banks to national banks. She caused this. This was caused by the federal government encouraging people to move their money out of uninsured banks. And this bank was not insured. That's why $100 billion left. You know, this when, what Janet Yellen said was she was asked by uh, Senator Langford, and I'll try and find that for you, of, of Oklahoma. Are you saying that not every bank will be covered because you're saying that only banks that have a systemic risk that could provide or, or result in a systemic risk will be covered and really protected by the FDIC and others. Well, the FDIC did come in here and protect this bank. So if that's what happened, then why would we have people moving their money out? First Republic would clearly be one of those banks that's covered. Well, first of all, she didn't protect this bank. This bank was not one that was officially protected by the government. What who is protected, though, is Jamie Dimon, because Jamie Dimon and J.P. Morgan, they got the coverage. They got the billions of dollars in guarantees, $13 billion at the federal government. You and I are guaranteeing Jamie Dimon when he buys this bank. But let's go back to your original point. Their portfolio only went from $213 billion in value to $203 billion. Tony, they only lost that small percentage. The reason they left is because the depositors were not insured. These are sophisticated depositors who, with the click of a button on their phone, moved money out of the bank because this was pre-guaranteeing everything that Janet Yellen was doing. They got nervous and they left because they weren't guaranteed. These are sophisticated depositors who left the bank. 
That's all that happened here. And Jamie Dimon helped cause it, and he then came in as the savior. And he knew he was going to do this, even though he said he wasn't going to. Well, you and I called him out on the show. Now, that, that's an accusation to make uh, of the head of, of J.P. Morgan Chase right there, Dr. Will. So he, he came in with a series of other banks to prop up First Republic. And you did say, and you, you were accurate, I, I, I wholeheartedly agreed then, I still agree now, that the purpose there was to be able to have first dibs on being able to buy the bank if things go further south. But he's not the guy who caused them to go south. That was already taking place. So why is this Jamie Dimon's fault? Oh, uh, he's part of the cause, Tony, because he's the one. Banking is is an industry of confidence. And if you don't have confidence in your bank, you're going to pull your money out. And his statements, the fact that he's the biggest dog in the world, the biggest bank in the United States. So when he says things, it matters. And when he says our bank is safe or he gets someone, a proxy for him to say it, like Janet Yellen, those are very dramatic things to create a lack of confidence. And so I I will stand by my statement that I believe he was an instigator in creating the lack of confidence in regional banks. Let me now share with you exactly what it is that that back and forth between Senator Lankford of Oklahoma and the Treasury Secretary, uh, Janet Yellen. Listen. Will the deposits in every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of their size, be fully insured now? Are they fully recovered? Every bank, every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of the size of the deposit, will they get the same treatment that SVBP just got or Signature Bank just got? A bank only gets that treatment if... A majority of the FDIC board, a supermajority, a supermajority of the Fed board, and I, in consultation with the president, determine that the failure to protect uninsured depositors would create systemic risk and significant economic and financial consequences. So what is and your we plan? Need that determination. Right. right. So, so what is your banks. plan to keep large depositors from moving their funds out of community banks into the big banks? We have seen the mergers of banks over the past decade. I'm concerned you're about to accelerate that by encouraging anyone who has a large deposit in a community bank to say, we're not going to make you whole. But if you go to one of our preferred banks, we will make you whole at that point. Um, look, I mean, we're that's certainly not something that we're encouraging. That is happening. But it is something without question that that Janet Yellen did indeed encourage what what I'm. I think the confusion here is, Dr. Will, talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, is that would you refer to First Republic Bank as a small bank? Uh, By the FDIC standards, yes. They are considered a small bank. Now, they're a small bank with a sophisticated depositor base. I mean, they only have $103 billion of deposits. I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're talking about, let's say, you know, J.P. Morgan, they have two point four trillion dollars of deposits. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're you know, they are considered a regional bank. But, Tony, I got to go back to the Jamie Dimon thing. You have to see what he did. 
In 2008, he bought Bear Stearns at a 90% discount and realized a $25 billion profit. He bought Washington Mutual, the largest bankruptcy of a bank in history. At bargain sale prices, he realized a $90 billion profit. I went back and looked up all this data this morning. And Tony, as soon as they finished this deal, as soon as it was announced today, they immediately announced, JP Morgan announced a $2.6 billion profit on the deal, in addition to a half a billion dollar profits year for eternity on this thing. I understand the issue that, that you're getting to, although I'm never somebody who's opposed to profit. You're making the argument that Jamie Dimon helped precipitate the problems with First Republic in order to be able to get the deal. That's where I think you're going. Is that the, I mean, that's one heck of a charge to make. Okay, I'm not making that charge because I don't want his lawyers coming after me. But let me tell you, I am I have in my opinion, I guess I guess that's what the legal thing in my opinion he did nothing to deter this. And in fact, he may have, he may have behind the scenes. I don't know. I, I would love to have, question the guy before a deposition and find out what he did behind the scenes to help nurture this. You don't think he was on the phone with Janet Yellen? You don't think he was on the phone with the executives at First Republic Bank? You don't think he somehow was was behind the scenes talking to people, helping but, get the bailout? He, worked, he structured a $30 billion deposit in their bank. He had to be talking to these people. Well, let's 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 take it a step further. By the way, I'm not against the po- profits either. No. I'm not the profits, and I'm and I'm not against profit a- a- at all. But this all stems from what Janet Yellen said. All the banks are equal, but some banks are more equal than others. It was very Animal Farm what she said here. We only de- we only provide the backstop if we determine amongst us as elites X, Y, and Z. And if you don't fall into that, well, you know, uh, thanks for playing and 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 oopsie. So that's why you saw these banks line up to help. First Republic. They knew they weren't going to lose their money. They knew they were going to get protected by the FDIC. They knew that they were, were were safe. The question is, if we're talking about First Republic here, well, we got to be talking about 10 more banks down the road. Everybody's only focused on one at a time. That doesn't make any sense. So the question before us is, is have are we now seeing a level of dominoes falling that the big banks have already figured out you're going to get this and you're going to get that and you're going to get that if five italians on a street corner did it it would be collusion with concrete prices but this is banking and it's okay is that what we're starting to see is that what janet yellen started right there with that statement to senator langford I think the domino effect is not what she started. Again, I'll say it again. Jamie Dimon is much smarter than Janet Yellen. He's a better negotiator. He set up the terms. You said about the domino effect. He did it in 2008 with Bear Stearns. He did it in 2008 with Washington Mutual. He's going to do it. He just did it again with First Republic. It's the same page from the same playbook. He's smarter than the government regulators. He's sitting there like a vulture. He helps create the environment with this $30 billion deposit so that nobody wants to buy this bank. No one's going to go near it because Jamie Dimon's already staked his claim to it. He's put his pole in the ground and said, I've got money in this bank. Anybody else want it? And all the other bankers just walk away. No, Jamie, we don't want it. Go ahead. It's yours for free. No one would buy this. They've only lost 10 out of $213 billion. Nobody wants it? Tony, you and I should raise the money and buy this bank. What a... What a sweetheart deal he got. 
Uh, that's, I think, the, the, the biggest point is this idea of the sweetheart deals, of the people on the inside, uh, that, that you have, you know, first the Republic fails, yet uh, J.P. Morgan wins. And we're the ones now being told that we're going to cover losses via the FDIC. That is we the people covering the losses, correct? Oh, OK. First of all, yes, 13 billion in asset losses. You and I are covering. FDI through the FDIC. In addition to, we are giving him a $50 billion financing deal to buy a bank with $103 billion in deposits and $200 billion in assets. Tony, would anybody like to buy a $200 billion item for $100 billion? Oh, by the way, and we'll finance it. Right. No, I'm I'm in on that deal, Dr. Will. And that's just the point. It's that sweetheart deal. That's uh, the the story. We'll get more into it. Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Much more to get to and find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz today. So the city of Houston is going to be having a citywide exercise with the FBI. It's a nuclear incident training. That started today. Oh, well, that's not going to freak anybody out. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything TonyKatz.com. A large-scale multi-agency nuclear incident training exercise will take place May 1st through the 5th in Southeast Houston and Harris and Harris County, it's called. The training exercise will not pose risks to area residents. Please do not be alarmed by training-related activity. Oh, yeah. There are going to be plenty of people who are totally alarmed by this activity. You kidding? Helicopters are going to come in three, four at a time. People are going to be calling the FBI, calling the police. They're going to be shooting in the sky. It's going to be a mess. I don't argue that the training exercises shouldn't happen. I'm just, I'm just saying what what is it's, it's, it's gonna people are going to react to it and maybe while the fbi is training we should train them on how not to instigate american citizens and not to abuse them it'd be it'd be terrific find everything at tonycats.com i'll catch you tomorrow everyone take care